One of the FBI agents said that David Stern was as shrewd and evil as any crime boss that he's ever tried to go after. He was as shrewd and evil as any crime boss he had ever gone after. Is that what you just said about David Stern? Absolutely. Uh, I remember like it was yesterday. And at this point, he had passed away. And he, he also said, and nail God is Judge Nail. Hey, now, what's cracking? Welcome to episode 233 of the Jim Rome Podcast. Thank you very much for finding your way back here. And as always, I think you've made a very, very good decision because you're going to want to hear this conversation. My guest this week was an NBA referee for 13 seasons until he suddenly resigned in 2007 following reports of an FBI investigation into illegal gambling activities. You probably know where I'm going with this, and especially if you're a fan of the association, you know that means that my guest this week is Tim Donaghy. He's the subject of the latest edition of the Untold series on Netflix. So let's not waste any time and let's get right to it. It's episode 233 with former NBA official Tim Donaghy, and it's coming at you right now. So, Tim, it's been a while since you and I have spoken. First of all, I appreciate you making time to do this very much. How are you, Tim? I'm doing terrific, Jim. Thanks for having me again. All right, so good to have you. So let me say, I saw the doc last night, and even as a viewer, I think it's very intense to watch Operation Flagrant Foul. I'm curious, Tim, what was it like for you to sit down for the project and then relive that entire part of your life? You know, it's embarrassing. It was embarrassing, uh, you know, when we got caught and when I was doing it, and it's just as embarrassing to to relive these things and have people continue to ask you the questions. So uh, I'm hoping at one point it, it, it gets behind me, but... For some reason, it always seems to be popping back up. So, Tim, help me with that, like, so we understand this. For instance, I'm under the understanding, tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong, when you do a documentary, are you compensated for that? Is that why you do that, or is there another reason to do it? Like, why did you agree to take part in this? Um, you know, you, you are given some forms of compensation for things. Um, but, you know, when when I sat down with these guys, they wanted to get the true story out there of how really – the NBA played everybody like a fiddle. Uh, not only me, the FBI, the United States Attorney's Office. And, you know, there's really only one guy in my mind that knew what they were doing, and that was my attorney, John Lauro. Um, and I didn't know this at the time, but he was really planting some seeds and doing some things that uh, were going to expose them. And uh, looking back now, he was really – uh, the only one that knew what he was doing. Okay, I'm going to follow up on what you just said in one second, but I want to ask you this, too. I've asked this of almost everybody, Tim, that's taken part in a doc, because this much I do know, you have no control over how it's going to be cut or edited or directed. So what was it like for you to sit down and watch that doc, and what do you think of the way Netflix handled it? You know, for the most part, um, you know, I, I trusted these guys. Uh, they were really... Uh, interested in exposing the NBA for what they did. They, they wanted to expose the fact that uh, 20 to $30 million went into organized crime. And really, uh, the investigation was uh, put to a screeching halt, and nobody really knows why. And uh, there's just so many different things that took place, and they left some things out. They put some things in. So, you know, for the most part, so I think they did a good job. I, I think they did, but... I think there's some 
uh, other questions that a lot of people are going to have, and they're going to have to come up with some answers for that stuff. Okay, so i got to pick my spots carefully. It's very complex, all right? So, like, the documentary itself covers a lot of ground, but you just said yourself, Tim, that they didn't cover everything. There are some questions that people would ask that were not covered. As an example, like, what do you think is a question or questions that should have been asked or addressed that were not? You know, why did this investigation come to a screeching halt? Uh, why did... Uh, organized crime get let off the hook when they uh, made 20 to 30 million dollars um, you know why did Batista get such a sweetheart deal I mean in the doc you see he says I got 15 months big smile thank you very much he was ecstatic that he got 15 months and this thing was shut down so um, it just seems that there there was a, a road that they should have kept going down and you know again I think David Stern was pulling a lot of strings and and he was really in charge with the whole thing. I was going to say, okay, I'll go back to Batista in one minute because he, there are a couple of other figures in the story that we'll get into. He's one of them. You had mentioned a couple of moments ago that the NBA played everybody like a fiddle, and also your concern is the investigation just got shut down. It came to a screeching halt. So if you were to answer that question, Tim, what exactly happened? You know, uh, I was in there, and I was willing to become a cooperating witness, and, and if they wanted me to, I was going to wear a wire and, and, and talk to different people. Uh, but, you know, obviously we know that uh, somehow the story was leaked to the New York Post and it was front page news. So everybody was put on notice not to talk to me. And, and I really never talked to too many officials again after that. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, all the avenues that different people wanted to go down to expose different things, uh, you know, just stopped. So, in other words, Tim, the thing could have been so much bigger than it even was. It could have blown up completely. You were willing to wear a wire. There was going to be a, an unbelievable investigation, comprehensive, but then it leaked. Did Stern leak the story in order to kill it? You know, nobody really knows. If you're going to ask me, I would say he, uh, he definitely uh, leaked the story because he was the only person who really benefited from the, it leaking and, and shutting everything down. And uh, nobody will really say, uh, you know, who did it. But in my mind, he definitely did it. All right. So, Tim, you mentioned Batista, Jimmy Batista. Who is Jimmy Batista? Jimmy Batista is the guy that, uh, you know, came to me and, uh, you know, wanted to start getting the picks directly from me. He was a guy that um, when you watch the documentary, you'll see he wasn't a made guy in the Gambino crime family. He wasn't a guy, as Bill Scala says, was going to the weddings and the funerals. But he was definitely an associate that was going to dinner with them uh, that was able to make 20 to $30 million for them. All right, so what he wanted, the thing is, in the documentary, without giving it away, it, it talks about how there were a group of bookmakers called The Animals, and he was working with them, and you were working with them, and then they had a falling out, so then he came to you, and he wanted those picks directly. Did he threaten you? How did that conversation go exactly? What did he say to you? He definitely threatened me, and it was that I wasn't working with the animals in the beginning. I was just betting with a buddy of mine, and he was betting through these animals, and they were basically piggybacking the bets. And then when we stopped, Batista had fallen out with them, and he wanted to continue to get the pick. So uh, we had a mutual friend, Tommy Martino, and uh, Tommy Martino just said, next time you're in Philly, let's grab dinner. And he showed up at the hotel, and he had Batista with him, and you know, when I was him in Hall and not really wanting to get involved with Batista or be sitting there with him, uh, Tommy Martino walked away and he just looked me right in the eye and he said, hey, listen, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get exposed for what you've been doing. 
or worse yet, somebody's going to go down and visit your wife and kids in Florida. So when he said that to you, Tim, how frightened were you? You know, definitely frightened. I mean, not really frightened of him, uh, you know, but frightened of what he uh, was involved with. So, you know, I knew at that point uh, I was in a lot of trouble, and I was just hoping to get through the next couple months uh, of that season, and hopefully it was going to be over with. Right. The wait is almost over. A new football season is about to begin. Get ready for the NFL Week 1 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And to celebrate the return of football, DraftKings is giving new customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just 5 bucks on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action for opening night? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any NFL team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point during that game, you get paid instantly even if your team loses. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code ROAM and get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code ROAM, R-O-M-E. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. So, Tim, you just said that he threatened you, he threatened your family. In the doc itself, Batista says, Tim, and I quote, he, this is what he said, quote, of all the fucked up things I've done, I never threatened Tim, end of quote. That's what he said for the doc. What's your response to that? You know, is he going to say that he threatened me? I would think not. He says he's not, he never had any association with anybody in organized crime, which we all know that was uh, a fictitious statement because, uh, Phil Scala, who ran the investigations for the Gambino crime squad, uh, flat out said he was involved with them. So, uh, I mean, you know, it, it's no it's no secret that anyone that's involved in organized crime is going to just continue to deny it. So, Tim, in, in terms of that deal, like, did you feel like you had no choice? I mean, did you want to do it? Did you enjoy making the money with him? Or did you feel like, man, I got no choice. He threatened me and my family. I have to do it. Like, what was your mindset with that deal? Absolutely. I mean, I was definitely a, a nervous about it. But as, you know, things ticked on, we were winning to the point where it became exciting. And, uh, you know, I had been gambling in the past. I was addicted to gambling. So, uh, you know, Tommy Martino was flying around to a lot of the games. We're, we were going around and we're having a blast with all the money. So, you know, it became, became something that was enjoyable for me. Hmm. Tim, what about the deal itself? Can you explain that? Like, what was your deal specifically with Batista? He was going to give me $2,000 for each correct pick, and there was no, uh, you know, negative charge if, if a game lost. And, um, you know, he was only giving me 2000 but he was betting millions of dollars as uh, – he describes in the documentary making a boatload of money for a lot of people. Is that okay? Are those, you know, I say this respectfully, Tim. Are those two things you just said both accurate? Like he, you're right. He says he was moving millions of dollars per game off of your information. Like he could lose. He said this. I lose three million a day, but I can make six million another day. Was he kind of just boasting, or was that real money? And were you only making two k per win? Yeah, definitely only making 2K per win. He even says that in the documentary. One of the things that we, uh, you know, few things that we agree on. But, uh, you know, I think it's obvious that Phil Scala did a, a thorough investigation. And, and uh, you know, there was 20 to $30 million that went into the coffers of organized crime. So, 
you know, I think he even writes about that, uh, you know, in, in, in different articles that are on uh, ESPN at the time. So uh, I don't think there's any secret that there was millions and millions of dollars made. So, I mean, like, Tim, you're obviously a really smart guy. Like, why would you leave all that money on the table? 2K per when that guy was making millions of dollars a day? That doesn't seem to make sense. I'll tell you, I, I beg to differ if, I, if I'm smart with what I did because I really did something stupid. So, uh, you know, and, and again, uh, all seriousness, uh, you know, at that time, I just wanted to get through those couple months of the season. I don't care if he was giving me 1K. I just wanted to be done with it and, uh, you know, try to get on with my life and stay away from gambling at that point. Uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I, I'm not trying to be insulting. I, I think you are a smart guy who did a not-so-smart thing, right, Tim? But you, you've you owned that. You've said that. You said you had, a, you had a gambling problem. Let me ask you this. Like, for instance, the, the world is so different right now. When you got into the NBA and you grew up and you loved basketball and you came from an area where there were a lot of referees, your dad was a referee, you got in and you were living the dream and living the life. The world now is so different. When you first got in, referees could not gamble on anything, right? Not in casinos, not in football, not in baseball. There was no gambling at all, right? Absolutely. Uh, the contract said you weren't allowed to place a bet of any kind, you know, and, and that meant, you know, even a $2 Nassau on the golf course. All right, so if you and then you get in and you're living the life and you're making a good living and things are going well, why would you jeopardize or risk all of that to gamble at all? You know, just a, a slow progression of uh, – yeah, enjoying golf, betting on golf, uh, you know, maybe betting uh, some cards in the locker room. And, uh, you know, it, it just became so exciting to me. And, you know, going down to the casinos with some high rollers that uh, could, you know, win or lose 50 grand a night. And, uh, you know, I just I got hooked and I enjoyed the euphoria of, of doing it. So, unfortunately for me, it was uh, it was a major downfall and it, it cost me a lot. So, Tim, how did you make that jump from, you know, doing that, gambling at casinos or on the golf course or on football or baseball to not only betting on basketball but betting on the games you worked? Yeah, it was, it was just a simple question from uh, the guy I was doing it with. He said, you know, hey, listen, you know, he had the Daily News. He said, pick me a couple winners tonight. And I just came from home. I saw who was uh, officiating on the master list, and uh, I looked at the games. I rattled three games off to him pretty quickly. And the next day he called me and said, you know, they all won. And is it that easy for me to pick the games best based on the referees? And I said, yes. And from there, um, you know, I just spiraled out of, out of control. And like I said, we were winning so much, uh, you know, we, we kept going. And then at times we, we decided to stop because I just felt nervous and I knew deep down it was wrong. And, um, you know, I didn't know that he was putting the bets in through people that uh, were betting large sums of money and Batista was getting that information. So when we stopped, obviously they wanted to continue to, to get those picks. Hmm. So Tim, when you started to do, when you started to bet on the games that you were in, did you influence the outcome of those games? And that's, that's a great question, Jim. And, and, and that's the, you know, the, the elephant in the room. And, and the way I, I try to explain it to everybody is, you know, there's morning meetings, uh, with three referees, and we go over the things that we're going to uh, emphasize and call uh, in the game that night. And it always put teams at an advantage or a disadvantage. And you got, you know, calls from group supervisors in the league office to crack down on certain things or, uh, you know, physicality play of a certain player. And, you know, for me, you know, it put teams at advantages or disadvantages or even relationships that were positive and negative that, we, uh, you know, zoned from 
guys hanging out with coaches or players, uh, you know, spilled out onto the floor. So to me, it really wasn't that difficult based on that information to, to pick these games. So do you own or run a small business? It has been tough the past couple of years, right? But you may qualify for a tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. It's not a loan like the PPP was, but an actual refund of your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions is helping small business owners like you in applying for and getting this tax refund for your business. The tax credit is part of the federal government plan called the Employee Retention Credit Program, or ERC. In the last six months alone, Omega has recovered over $300 million in cash ERC refunds for businesses. Remember, this is not a loan, but a refund on your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions helps businesses nationwide. If you have more than five, but less than 500 employees, they are likely able to help you as well. A better business bureau partner and a champion for small business. Omega has 15 years of accounting experience, so find out if you qualify today. This program is available for only a short period of time, so call toll-free 800-704-2000, 800-704-2000, or go online to omegataxcredits.com. You've got everything to gain by determining if you qualify. That is omegataxcredits.com. So... Uh, I mean, that, that, that that's kind of, I mean, I want to say there's some semantics in that, Tim. Like, for instance, if you got word from the league office, and I guess nobody really had to ever tell you or any other referee, you know what? We'd like to see our stars in these games, right? we got a lot of people paying a lot of money. We don't need to see LeBron in foul trouble early on. Nobody need to tell you or anybody else that. If what you're saying is what you're saying, does that mean that the league itself is influencing the outcome of games on any level? Absolutely. I don't know if you can remember the story back when Jeff Van Gundy was uh, coaching in Houston. And uh, I believe uh, they were playing Dallas in the playoffs. And uh, there was a situation where, um, you know, Houston was up two games to none. The series went back to, to Houston. And the league came in and told us to crack down on Yao Ming setting illegal screens and traveling in the post. And, he was actually friends with Donnie Vaden, who was the group supervisor, you know, telling the referees what to call in that series. And Donnie Vaden not only told us, but he went and told Van Gundy. So when he lost that game, Van Gundy threw a fit and told him somebody from the league office told him that that was going to happen, but wouldn't tell who that source was. And he was fined $100,000. It was one of the, you know, biggest fines at the time for the league. So, um, you know, that's a, a prime example of, of how they come in and, and change a playoff series by telling the referees to uh, crack down on something that's going to hurt a team that's up in the series so that it becomes two games to none and two games to one and two games to two and, and everything gets extended. Because I was going to say, because obviously you want as long a series as possible and make as much money as possible. Tim, I asked you, quote, did you ever influence the outcome of games? I'm going to ask you even more directly then in this case, did you ever fix games? Definitely not. And that was, uh, again, that was one of the major things uh, with the FBI. And after they did a thorough investigation, flew around and talked to many coaches, former referees and players, uh, you know, they agreed that what I was doing was definitely wrong, but I wasn't going out there and putting stars to the bench uh, with these phantom calls that were hurting teams. I was just, you know, going and doing what the league wanted to do that was putting teams at advantages or disadvantages. Let me ask you as a follow-up then. If you, if you personally had a bet on a game 
I mean, is it not natural to think that either consciously or subconsciously you would make a call or calls based on the bet that you made? You, you sound like a, a lawyer. You're, it's, it's, it's funny that you're coming up with the, pretty much the exact same questions that, you know, the United States attorneys and the FBI agents called me because they did make me sign a document that said subconsciously I could have been, a, you know, making these calls to affect uh, the game based on the point spread and based on, uh, you know, trying to win or lose a bet. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it, it could have happened. Did I go out there and, and purposely do things in these games to make sure these bets won? No. And, and I was fortunate because we won so much, you know, a loss every now and then, you know, kind of made, you know, it not as obvious in my mind and didn't throw up as many red flags as I, I thought were probably going up. Right. So, Tim, how many games did you bet on? as a referee in the NBA that you worked? Do you know? Uh, you know, I would say over 100 because at first I was doing it with a guy uh, who really wasn't associated with Batista. Uh, they were just piggybacking off the bets. They knew the bookie that this guy was putting them in through. Uh, you know, with Batista, it was about 25, but altogether, you know, close to 100, I would say, or over 100. And then how many did you win of those 100? You know, they said that, you know, and I know for a fact that we were winning 75 to 80% of the time, probably even a better percentage during the playoffs. You know, I mean, it's, it's an incredible number. And then at the same time, then they grade referees, right? They're watching tape. They're breaking it down. They're grading you, and you won 70-plus percent. Like, what kind of grades were you getting from the league office during this time? You know, I and this was what really helped me a lot. Uh, um, I was told by the group supervisors uh, I was ranked three out of uh, 58 officials at the time, I believe, uh, you know, for call accuracy. So when the FBI went around and talked to all the group supervisors, they showed them the documents that I was rated the third best uh, in regard to call percentage in, in the whole league. So, uh, you know, that helped me a lot in regard to them trying to figure out whether I was fixing these games or not by making false calls or wrong calls. So, Tim, when David Stern singled you out as, quote, a rogue, isolated criminal, what was your reaction when you heard that statement? It was tough because I knew uh, what I did and how I did it. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to, the truth to be known. And, and hopefully a lot of changes were going to be made. And, uh, you know, it was difficult to watch him stand up there for that press conference and say that. Um, and, you know, it, it really pissed off a lot of the people that were doing the investigations. And one of the FBI agents said that David Stern was as shrewd and evil as any crime boss that he's ever, um, you know, tried to go after. Can you just say that again, that he, he was as shrewd and evil as any crime boss he had ever gone after? Is that what you just said about David Stern? Absolutely. I remember like it was yesterday that he just said, uh, and at this point he had passed away, and he, he also said, and now God's his judge now. We could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to something else amazing, the thing that we do around here normally. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms to apply. You love the game. You love being a referee. You love being around the other referees. You love that camaraderie. And you spend a lot of time with these guys. You know, when he says that you were a, quote, rogue, isolated criminal, was there any other – I'm not looking for you to 
be a snitch or a rat, but, I mean, straight up, were there other referees doing what you were doing? You know, there was a lot of referees that were gambling. There was a lot of referees that, uh, you know, I talk about this in the book, Personal Foul, that we would go out there, Jim, and we would bet 20 bucks uh, on if you called the first foul of the game, you had to pay the other two referees. So we'd throw the ball up, and we'd be running up and down the court sometimes for a minute, two minutes, which is a long time in an NBA game, not blowing the whistle, and uh, bodies would be flying all over the place. So, uh, you know, there were things that we did uh, in these games that definitely, uh, you know, caused some problems for the league. And they know uh, that I was telling the truth because I, I at one point took a, a, a polygraph test that showed that I was telling the truth. And, and also Phil Scholar, who was uh, the head of the Gambino crime family, uh, you know, investigations, wrote the forward for my book and said that I told the truth at every turn. Oh. I'm going to ask you about Scala before I let you go, and we have a few moments left. And, Tim, when you mentioned problems for the NBA, you know, as it comes out that this never went to trial, how bad would this – and you argue, I guess you could argue, that it never went to trial because Stern was never going to let it go to trial, right? He shut this thing down, allegedly. How bad would it have been for the NBA if it did, in fact, go to trial? It would be a disaster because uh, even Batista mentioned in the the documentary that they were going to put uh, every referee – on the stand, they were going to put coaches and owners on the stand, and that would have been a disaster for the league because they would obviously have been discussing the fact that you know they thought a lot of things uh, you know weren't done on the up and up, and you know we can always go back to that Sacramento L.A. game six when uh, you know um, Sacramento lost that game in L.A. The free throws were well out of whack, and you have Delaney, Pavetta, uh, and Bernhardt officiating that game, and uh, Instead of taking them out of the playoffs for the rest of the year, they promote all three of them to the NBA Finals and give them a $25,000 bonus. So, you know, where can you see something like that happen in America to where you see three guys screw up and embarrass the league and yet still get a promotion and an advancement and extra money? It's a famous, famous game, arguably the worst officiated game ever. I mean, Tim, bottom line, did, did Stern have the power to shut this whole thing down and make it go away? Is that what happened? Uh, you know, as hard as it is to believe, there's no doubt in my mind, he, uh, he was running this whole investigation. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that he had a, a, a line right into those people that were prosecuting the case. So did you just say Phil Scullo wrote the forward to your book? He did. He wrote the forward for my book. And, uh, you know, I was grateful uh, that he did that. I think that he was a little bit taken back about how I was treated even from the uh, you know, United States Attorney's Office. And I'm not proud that I was a cooperating witness for the government. But uh, in that situation, usually they, they make sure that the cooperating witnesses are taken care of. And, uh, you know, definitely they just threw me out and, uh, you know, like a piece of trash after it was over and, and uh, didn't do anything to help me. You know, Tim, to your point, your, your attorney who you mentioned earlier, he says in the doc that he's never had a guy go in or he never went in with a client as quickly as he went in with you because you wanted to cooperate. So really quickly, when you went in and you wanted to cooperate, Phil Scala was the lead investigator in that case, and you had probably not met him until that point. He leans across the table in that first meeting. He puts a finger in your face. What did he tell you? You know, Jim, it was, it was amazing. I, I certainly wasn't prepared for what I was getting myself into. I walked into a room, and they told me to sit there, and they were going to come in in a minute. And stacked to the ceiling was hundreds of boxes, and they were all marked John Gotti trial. And, and I look at that, and I look to the right, and there's a whiteboard that says gambling, five to ten years, money laundering. 
10 to 15 years, a couple of the crimes that added up to 25 years. And before I could even get my thoughts together, he comes into the room with a couple of different people and he jumps up, he points his finger across the table right in my face and he tells me, hey, listen, you're sitting in the same fucking seat as John Gotti. He said, I got fucking John Gotti. If you think you're going to lie, get the fuck up and leave right now. Yo, fellas, why don't we talk antiperspirant for a moment? I want to talk to you about Dove Men Dry Spray, and I'll tell you why. It feels light and clean on your skin. It's also quick and easy to use, and it's great for topping up when you're on the go. For instance, do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. And Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's so quick and easy to use. Great, great product, especially when you're on the go. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream, which helps to protect your skin, leaving it feel comfortable, and did I say yes, helps to protect it as well. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Before you walked yeah. in that room, given the fact that you had no prior record and that you were cooperating, realistically, what kind of a prison sentence were you expecting? To be honest with you, and as naive as I was, um, you know, not having a, any prior record, uh, unlike all the other guys that were involved in the tax scandal with the airline tickets, I wasn't involved in that. So I just figured I would get maybe probation. Uh, you know, I went in to cooperate. I thought... That was the best thing for me and my family. And when the first United States attorney talked to my attorney, he said, Tim Dunahee should come in and talk to us before we have to come get him. Because if we have to come get him, not only is he going to lose his job, but he's going to go to jail for a long, long time. So I thought that was him saying, come in and you'll stay out of jail. But obviously that's not what happened. All right. So you get 15 months and you do that time. I'm curious, Tim, when you got out, how concerned, like tell me about your life before you go since then, how concerned were you about your ability to support your family and your kids and what you would do with the rest of your life? What was your mindset? Jim, that had to be the worst, uh, you know, thought that uh, goes through a, uh, you know, a man's mind is when you, you have four daughters that you love to death and, and you have to figure out a way to support them. And, uh, it, it was extremely, extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, I probably lost 35 pounds, 40 pounds because of that thought alone. Uh, but I was lucky. I, I, I met the right guy at the right time. And uh, the real estate market was uh, in turmoil. And he talked me into the fact that he felt that it was going to at some point come around and people going to need renters. And, uh, you know, I got involved in that business. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have 11 properties that I now manage and rent out. And, and uh, you know, I'm extremely successful, and I'm lucky that uh, I met that guy, and I'm lucky that, uh, you know, I've been able to turn my life around and, and uh, be able to support my kids. You bet. So finally, Tim, given all of this, given everything we just talked about and this, this whole thing, what's it like for you to see how dramatically the gambling landscape has changed and the way the NBA embraces sports gambling the way it does now in all major sports? You know, to be honest with you, the way I look at it, is, it it's got you got to laugh. It's, it's comical from where they didn't want anything to do with uh, gambling, and now all of a sudden uh, they're figuring out ways to uh, increase their revenue so that they can uh, split it up amongst uh, the players and the owners now. So 
you, you got to look back and laugh. And, uh, you, know, you know, unfortunately for me, I, you know, it was just uh, a little bit before my time. Mm. Tim Donaghy, my guest, Untold Series, continues with Operation Flagrant Foul. Tim, it's amazing. I was talking to my producer. When you and I spoke the first time, God, I mean, life is so fucking weird anyway, but you know that was 2013? Like nine years. That's, I don't know how it feels to you. You've been through yeah, quite a bit I, I since I remember then. going out there. You were kind enough to take me out to L.A., and, uh, you know, I was a big fan of yours then. I'm still a big fan of yours now. So uh, it was exciting for me. That's probably one of the few interviews that I actually enjoyed and I look forward to. Now, I appreciate that, Tim, very much. I appreciate getting caught up with you. I appreciate you telling the story. And the doc is really something. As I mentioned at the very top, it's intense to watch. So I can only imagine what it was like to sit down. Listen, really good to get caught up, Tim. Thank you very much. Good luck to you. And I'm glad that you and I could have this time together. Thanks, pal. So you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. Then a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride and you think, nah, I live nearby. I'll make it home. I'll be fine. No big deal. What are the odds that you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. Tim Donaghy's story is one of the most wild stories I've ever heard and seen. And it's as wild today as it was a decade and a half ago and just as relevant. Gambling then was taboo, but it's mainstream now. And Tim Donaghy just provided a ton of fresh insight into how the NBA operates on the inside and how they handled one of the biggest scandals in the history of that sport. And it's conversations like that, which is why I launched the original side hustle in the first place. Raw, unfiltered, and extended chats that you will not hear and cannot get anywhere else. And if you have not picked up on that by now, we drop a brand new one every single week. So make sure you have subscribed if you haven't done so already. That way you never have to go looking for or tracking down an episode. It will find you instead. So while you do that, let me leave you with this week's voicemails. First new message. Hey, JR. It's uh, Ryan in Sacktown. This is the one phone call I'm allowed to make from Jungle Jail. Can you do me a favor and set my bail amount? Everything about this jail is really, really creepy. There's this weirdo in cell 12 that keeps trying to contact my family. Another guy wants me to walk with him, but he's the sweatiest inmate on the yard. And another guy won't stop doing parodies of terrible takes. He's now in solitary confinement. Get me out of here, man. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Rob from Reno. So 
So I have a Robert Plant story, too. Back in 1991, I was living on a boat in San Diego, and I had tickets to see Robert Plant this one night. So I rode my bike over to the sports arena a couple hours before the show, and all of a sudden, as I'm riding, Robert comes riding out on a motorized skateboard, and he zooms right past me. And I'm like, hey, Robert! And he just kept on going. He totally ignored me. But man, I came really close to getting my chance to telling him that I named my boat Immigrant Song. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne, man. So I was at Twitter the other night. I usually only use it for your great show. But they are going off on Cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. I mean, just relentless hate. So I keep scrolling down, and then I see old One Day at a Time. And I remember growing up at that show. But i got to be honest with you. A serious question. What in the hell did Schneider ever fix? Message deleted. Next message. Romy, it's Justin calling back again. You know, the more I think about it, that useless maintenance guy Schneider, he reminds me a lot of that creepy Johnny in Texas. I mean, always lingering around, the single divorced lady with the kids, not really doing anything, but always there, not solving problems. Hey, at least Schneider solved problems. That son of a bitch may have not fixed the sink. But he could solve everyone's problems. Message deleted. Next message. Rome, Jacques in North Carolina. I'm trying to enjoy myself watching college football, Nebraska, Northwestern on Fox Sports. And none other than Pervin Liar shows up on a promotion for Fox Sports football. Do they not have any decency of hiring this piece of crap? We all know he's a piece of crap and has no shame, obviously. But what about Fox Sports' culpability in hiring this buffoon? I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy, what's up? This is David from Buffalo calling in about Rory McIlroy. He is the official face of the PGA Tour right now. And he said on Sunday, not only have I done all this talking about the stupid live tour, but i got to back it up with some great play. We don't need the President's Cup in a couple weeks. We need the live guys battling the PGA Tour guys where they play head-to-head. We need Tiger against Phil. We need Rory against Dustin Johnson. And we need somebody to take out that withered old hack, Greg Norman. Message saved. You have no more messages.